All right. So we're going to go into our time in the Word here, and I want to start the way I start every morning uh, when I get up here, which is good morning. morning. All right. Good. Uh, That was, it sounded loud, but that was probably like three of y'all. And so I'm tempted to run it back. But shout out to Mark and Christina, who are the primary driving forces of that good morning. Um, But hey, what I want to do before we get started is I want to uh, start today by imagining a common moment, a common experience in the life of many young people. And I want to invite you to close your eyes with me and kind of just try to imagine this space. I want you to try to imagine a young person. It could be any gender, it doesn't matter. You can envision yourself, you can envision someone else. And I want you to envision right around that age where they, they finally finish high school. And so they finally finished high school and they, they've, they've actually spent their, their summer well. They've had a lot of fun. Let's say they're sitting in their room and they've looked back and they've thought about all the fun they've had and all the good times and And after all the fun had settled down, though, and the goodbyes had been said to the people that they love, finally they pack a bag. They pack maybe a few bags, a lot of their belongings, and they head out. Now picture that young person with their mother, their father maybe, in the car, or maybe driving to the airport, kind of fully ready to engage on this new adventure. And that adventure being they're heading off to college. Exciting times. And while getting everything moved in to their dorm or their apartment, or maybe even just kind of saying bye at the airport, right? Mom says, don't fall in with the wrong crowd. Dad says, I want you to focus on your studies. And they leave. And all the excitement and all the adrenaline finally subsides and they're sitting in their room by themselves. I wanna ask you to just give me some feedback here. What are some of the concerns that come over their heart? I don't mean worries, I mean what do they, what do they focus on? What do they want, what are the first things they wanna do in this new season? Make friends. That is definitely high on the priority list, right? What else? Just give me a few more. Figure out where things are. That's good. Huh? Establish routines. That's great. All right. So this whole front row gave me all the all the all the answers. Let's do one more that's not on the front. Josh, you're out. Um, let's do one more that's not on the front row. Say it again. To not disappoint anyone. Totally. To discover themselves. All right, now we're picking up steam here. All right, I wasn't expecting the steam to pick up here. All right, but um, thank y'all. Um, I, I would, I agree with all those. I, I, sh- I invite y'all to share because I know that you've had maybe a moment like that. I would, I would argue that all those are right, obviously. But one of the biggest things that does overcome people is the idea when they get to a new place, who is like my community? making friends, who do I fit in with? And so that's why you see like every movie, like coming to age movie, right? They're like walking through the quad or they're walking through like the social gathering place, amen, of the new university and they're looking around and they're just like seeing all the groups of people and they're like, who am I going to be? 
Who do I want to be? Who have I been? And maybe who am I going to be now? This is a moment that's actually really powerful when we think about what it means to our lives, because it's not just saying, how do I find a group of friends? Some people go to school with a bunch of people they went to high school with, and within six months, they have a whole new group of friends. Because who they were isn't always going to be who they are. And it, who they are isn't always going to be who they're going to be. And so much of that, while the experiences that we have shape us, so much of that idea of who we are and who we're going to be is shaped by the simple idea of who we're around. The community that surrounds us, um, but the community, I would say, maybe more than that, that reinforces us, that reinforces who we are, that reinforces where we're going. Whether we acknowledge it or not, friends, community, friendship, and support are foundational to who we are. Uh, in recent studies by the Mental Health Foundation um, found that when people experience high levels of social cohesion in their communities, they experience lower rates of mental health problems, including depression and anxiety. And check this out. This is independent of poverty or affluence. See, it's easy to be like, oh, it's because they're rich, but it's not. The study found that independent of whether you had money or whether you were dead broke, when your communities had social cohesion, they were together, there was a support system that no matter from where you're from, from how you grew up, even things like mental health problems, uh, the rates of them were decreased and in the general public. Why do I ask all this? And it's, why do I say all this? And it's because today we're starting a new sermon series entitled something a little weird. I got to say, my nerds are going to be like, oh, I like this. I like this title. Uh, but it's entitled Ecclesia, uh, which is a, okay, all right. <laughs> That was, that was like, a, that was like what, that was the primary example of like nerdy aggression. And it's like when something nerdy comes up, it's like, ah, you know, love that. Huzzah. Yeah. And so what we're going to do with that, for those that don't know, ecclesia is the Greek word that oftentimes translates to church, but it most literally means a, a congregation or an assembly of people that have been called out, that has been uniquely separated for a specific reason or a specific cause. And through this series, what we're going to do is we're going to observe the community in the early church in Acts 2. And we're going to just try to observe what made it special, what made it unique, what made it powerful. And we're going to start today by just introducing the subject. We're not going to go into anything too specific. We're going to just introduce the subject. And, and what I hope you pull from it is this, that God has designed the church to support and shape each other through commitment and love. Very simple idea that God has designed the church to support and shape each other through commitment and love. And so let's start. We're going to go through this pretty quick. Uh, let's start by simply reading the text that we're going to be working through over the next several weeks. We're going to go through it very slowly, I, almost like a one or two verses at a time. But today we're going to read the whole thing in its entirety. And so starting uh, in verse 41 at Acts chapter 2, uh, we're going to read. And what I want to do is we've been doing this over the past several weeks, and I kind of want to make it into a habit. And so if you would, out of respect for, for the value that, that so many of us in here place on God's word, I want to ask you to stand as I read um, and feel and encourage you to read along if you would like to. Afterwards, uh, we're going to try, if I remember, uh, to say this is the word of the Lord. And if I forget, feel free to just be like, hey, there you go. Hey, whose word is this is a great question to ask. 
<laughs> Sorry, I need to focus. That was really good. Okay. Um, so Acts 2, 41 through 47 reads like this. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. All right, all right. Hey, so before we jump in here, just a little context for those that, that don't know. This is an extremely famous bit of scripture. I mean, like, really. People have been studying this for, uh, since it was written. Uh, and, and really, it's because it gives us this vision of the early church. It gives us this vision of the moment and the practices of the church that take place right after the church is born. What do I mean? Well, if you go back to just Acts 2.41, it says, So those who accepted his message were baptized. What is that? Well, it's the fact that Peter had delivered an incredible message, the first real sermon after Jesus' resurrection, uh, right after they had been empowered with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The entire group uh, of 120 were uh, waiting. They speak in tongues, and then there's just this incredible uh, confusion that overtakes the crowd around them, and Peter pops up, and he's like, have, I, have you heard of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? Like he comes in right away, and he's like, can I share the Lord and Savior Jesus with you? And he kills it. He does a great job. He speaks powerfully and poetically. Um, as the majority of what Acts chapter 2 uh, is, is his sermon. And, and in verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message, those who heard it and said, no, I agree. I believe this Jesus. I'm going to follow this Jesus. Was three thousand. Three thousand. That's a lot of people. That's an incredible amount of people. Even if you want to sit here and, and be like, hey, the Bible does funny things with numbers, and be like, maybe this is just a, a way of saying a lot of people. Even to just get in the ballpark of guessing 3,000 means there is a lot of people. There is a significant amount of people, and they come and say, I want to follow Jesus. And so what happens from there? <clears throat> I think the, the incredible thing to observe here is that the thing that probably is most notably characterized in the first moments of someone coming to faith, a giant number of people coming to faith, but this is the first moment when people come to faith, is that they are brought into the idea of a corporate body. The very next verse says, they. It doesn't say each one. The first identifying marker of a Christian is that they are brought into a community of people that then is labeled they. Why is that important? Because in the very, in the very birthing moments, like a baby coming out into the beautiful scene of their mother, their father, their grandparents, their aunts, their uncles, their cousins, almost the idyllic vision of what it would look like for a baby to be born into a beautiful community. Like that, the, the church is born into the concept of being together. 
It's born into the concept of community. That's who they are. That's who they're always going to be. They'll never be able to divorce themselves from the idea that they're corporately linked. That's what it means in, in, in a lot of ways to commit yourself to Jesus, is that you are not just committing yourself to Jesus. You're committing yourself to his people. You're committing yourself to be in relationship with his people. And this is actually quite challenging because in our, in our culture and society, we have a lot of like, you know, my relationship with God is personal. And, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I ain't religious. And what that means is I like thinking about God and I own a Bible and I be praying sometimes, but I don't go to church. That's almost exclusively what that means. <laughs> and yet the identifying marker of what it means to be a Christian, with the moment it happens, is that there is an automatic identification with the greater community of faith. That's the vision that God has for his people. It's not that, hey, I've saved you, and now I want you to, you know, uh, learn about me and, and figure me out with the Bible, and I, I need you to, on your own, I need you to go on hikes, and I need you to get into nature, and I need you to see trees, and only do it by yourself. And then I need you to go into a closet and on your own pray to me. Some of those things are invitations to us. But the primary marker for a follower of Jesus is, is they. They're, they're a community of people. This idea is, is inherent. Now, here's the thing. What, what happens after that? Once, once we're in, I think that Acts 2 actually gives us a really incredible invitation. Because in the very next verse, Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And here's the thing. Right after we're brought into a community of people, the next marker is that there is commitments. Commitments are made by this corporate body of people. The word here, devoted, most literally means to join oneself to something. It's the idea of, of quite literally almost having it attached to you, that they attached themselves. They, not that they could just, they picked it up, but but they almost connected it to who they are. And what is it they connected themselves to? Well, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And here's the thing. I think these markers are, are beautifully, they're 100% the vision of what we do as a church and what we do as, as people of God. But what this actually more than likely looked like is that even from early on, they made a commitment that their lives in worship were going to be marked by these things. They were going to be marked by the apostles' teaching. They were going to be marked by the fellowship. Uh, they were going to be marked by the breaking of bread and to prayer. And what that actually looked like was that in the corporate body, they were going to come together and, and they were going to listen to the apostles' teaching. Because here's the thing. Up until this point, at this moment, there's no writings of the apostles' teaching. What they're gaining is not reading the Bible. They're committing to the idea of sitting down, watching Peter, John, right? Whoever's coming out from the apostles, James, you name it. One of them's going to come out and they're going to be like, here's what Jesus taught me. And they're going to be like, dude, anytime one of y'all steps up to open your mouth and start sharing the teachings of Jesus and your experience with Jesus, we as a body of Christ, this, this idea of the, of the church, we're going to gather and we're going to listen to you. Because you're the closest thing we have to hearing his words. And so they, they come together, and, and that's why the very next thing is the idea that they gather. Why? Because there was only 12 of them apostles. 3,000 people and 12 apostles. I mean, 
that's like nearly as bad as what it looks like to be a public school teacher. I and mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's crazy. That's a lot of folks. And yet they gather in groups. They may not gather all together. There may not really even be uh, a place where they consistently do that, but they gather together. They don't forsake that. They commit to it. They join themselves to the idea of gathering together to listen to the apostles' teaching. And the idea of breaking bread here isn't they just go and eat together, but that's the idea of saying when they gather, they take part in the Lord's Supper, communion, that they, they hear the apostles' teaching as they gather together. They take communion because from their perspective and through the words of Jesus, they believe that this spiritually brings them in unity and in union with Jesus. And so they take that together and they culminate that time and sprinkle throughout it the idea that they're going to pray. And likely they prayed the Lord's Prayer. Likely they gathered all together and just said Jesus' prayer. And that's what their lives look like. And here's the thing. They committed themselves to this knowing I'm going to give myself to these commitments. You, the apostles, say that as the community of faith, I'm called to give myself to your teaching because it's Jesus' teaching. I'm called to come together with the community of faith. I'm called to take the Lord's Supper and spiritually come into union and come into fellowship with Jesus. And I'm to pray and, and even to embody Jesus' prayer by praying his prayer. And they say, yes. The overwhelming response from this early group of people is, yes, I'm going to make myself one and connect myself with these commitments. And that's what their lives are marked by. And so we, as we look at that, we have to also kind of take inventory of that. Like, are we committed to that? As a church in a corporate Sunday, yeah. Like, we sing, we read the Bible, that's what the apostles' teaching looks like now. We gather together in this I'm just going to say lunchroom, right? We take communion together every single week. We pray together regularly. So we make that commitment as a corporate body, but yet they make that commitment on a personal level as well. And so we have to come in and say, hey, if, if the early church submitted themselves to these commitments, understanding that through these commitments, I'm going to be shaped and formed. This is what's going to shape and form me. My commitment to these four ideas is going to shape my life as a follower of Jesus. I'm going to hear and understand and submit to what these men say in terms of these apostles. I'm going to actually give myself to gathering with God's people. I'm going to take communion and remind myself of the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm going to connect with God in an intimate and spiritual way. And these things are not just arbitrary commitments, but the belief and the vision is that these things are going to form me. They're going to shape me. They're not just going, oh, yeah, this is what it means to be a part of the club, so I got to do it. But that these are going to be actual things that shape and mold who I am. And so, friend, that means that you can, be, you can expect to be shaped by these commitments. You can expect to be shaped by them. If you're a part of this church, bare minimum, you're going to be shaped by these ideas. The amount of times we've prayed the Lord's Prayer together in the past several weeks has been numerous. You know why? Because of this. The reason we take communion together every week, why? It's because of this. The reason we come to church, this. The reason we preach, this. Why? Because we've made those commitments. And as a body, as a community of people, we're submitted to them, and we invite the Lord to shape us through them. 
But here's the other aspect that I want to invite you into is to consider whether you're contributing and helping shape others in the same way. Are you helping and contributing to shaping the lives of others through these commitments in your own life? Because here's the thing. The apostles didn't say we commit to these things and y'all receive from them. It says that they corporately committed to these ideas. They corporately, that means everyone. The entire community said these are our commitments. We join ourselves to this. And that really, earlier I quoted Ephesians 4 where Paul again says, All right, it, it's, we equip the saints, that's y'all. The church goers, the members of the church, we equip them for the work of ministry to serve one another and love one another. Why? Because each individual that, that says, I'm a part of the Lord's body, the Lord's community, they commit to these ideas. And as we commit, we're shaped, but also we start to shape others. Someone sees your love for God's word. They see your commitment to gathering. They see maybe like, like us partaking communion together. Maybe you pray for someone and it deeply impacts them. And so the question is not just, am I going to submit to it? But it also is, how am I going to contribute to shaping and helping others through these commitments? There is a, uh, a joke that I found as I was preparing for this that I thought was, was funny, but I thought was also helpful. Um, it was an illustration of a, of a hen and a pig. And it says that a hen and a pig approached a church and read the advertised sermon topic, which was, what can we do to help the poor? And immediately the hen suggests, we can feed them bacon and eggs. The pig thought for a moment and said, there's only one thing wrong with feeding them bacon and eggs. For you, it requires only a contribution. But for me, it requires total commitment. Uh, and here's the thing, friend. I, I want to invite us in a lot of ways to be the pig in that situation. I'm not calling you a pig. <laughs> but if your vision of what it means to be shaped and formed by these commitments is simply, uh, I'll do them when I can, and I'll be involved when I can, I promise you, you will not be shaped by these things to the extent that, that Scripture calls us and invites us into, nor will you make the impact that, vision, that, that Scripture envisions for our lives as a part of the church. It's when we say, I've joined myself to these things. I'm giving myself to Scripture. I'm, giving my, I'm, union, I'm being in union with the idea of gathering together. I'm not, I don't flippantly, you know, I don't take the gathering of God's people flippantly. I'm committing to being there. Uh, of, of taking communion, reminding ourselves of Jesus' sacrifice. When we're doing those things, it shapes us, but then we begin to actively contribute to the lives of others through that commitment. And that's the vision we have here. But here's the thing. What, what happens, how does that happen? What is the environment in which that happens? And I think that's where the rest of this text actually goes. After describing the corporate commitment of verse 42, it continues on in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Uh, this, is, this is actually powerful. Uh, in studying this text, it, this is actually a bit of a divide. 
The first section is very, a corp is, is very much so like a corporate identity. Here are the commitments that we make. That's, again, why we do everything that we do on Sunday. But verse 43 begins to tease out what this actually looked like on a day-to-day -day basis. And when we actually lived out in deep commitment, the vision is that people were filled with awe. And then you look at the language that's used here, and it's extraordinarily intimate. It's marked by a certain type of love. Just, just with me real quick. I'm not going to put it up there, or don't put it up there because it's gonna, I'm going to go through all of it real quick. You just look at the language that's used here. They were together, held all things in common. All right, they distributed to those who had need. That means, that, they, that means they knew the needs of those who were in the body. They didn't just take a guess. They knew. Right, they devoted themselves to meeting together. Right, they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. That means that when they, when they spent time together, they enjoyed each other. They loved each other. They cared for each other. Every day, right, praising God, actually 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their numbers. If you look at the language there, it's this very intimate and loving language. It doesn't paint this picture of people that came together solemnly to honor their commitments and then left. It paints a picture of a people that through these commitments, understood correctly, lived a life marked by love for one another. They started to enjoy each other. I, I deeply know the feeling of sitting with so many of y'all and going to eat somewhere and the room being marked by joy and fun and love, and care. So often we think that that's what takes place after church. After church, you're like, oh, let's go to lunch. And it's like after church lunch, that's a vibe. But if we were looking at what the church actually is in Acts, I think that is actually an expression or, or, or that's the result of what it looks like to live in this commitment. I guarantee you seldomly, I'm not sure if ever, there were probably moments of this, but seldomly has someone been like, you know what, I'm not going to go to church, but when y'all leave, holler at your boy, and I'll meet you for lunch. just doesn't happen that often. But some of y'all get together here, you go out to eat, you hang out, you go to community group. I saw Mikey coming in this morning, and he was like, yeah, this wine shindig that, uh, that Anisha and Jerry put together for apartment life was super fun. Great. Incredible. Why? And that's the thing. I have a, an extraordinary bend toward the idea of saying, I want you all, each and every one of you, to enjoy each other. If you were in our, our CG training, you know that it, it verges on the idea of being like, dude, leave behind everything else. It flirts with that idea. And, I, and the thing is, for like all of us that grew up in church, when I present some of these ideas, there are times where I feel the tension with you. I feel it. You're like, yeah, well, we could do other things. And it's like, no, I want you to be together. And if you do not open the Bible while you're together, I am okay with that. And if you do not come together and be like, hey, can we, like, can we do this? Like, let's get in a circle and hold hands. I'm okay with that. Because what marks this early community is that the result of, of those commitments internally, it doesn't mean that they're going to do them every day. I'm sure that they are reading the Bible every day. But what the result of it is that they, they come together and build an environment and a community of love. That's the result of these commitments. That's what it looks like to commit to these things. 
And I want to share with you, in, in love, I love you, that if you're committed to these things, but it doesn't produce a deep joy to be with other believers, to serve them, to love them, to just enjoy them, then your commitments here are probably more a checklist than they are actually in, an invitation to know the Father and then to love his people. That's what's actually happening here. If you arrive at small group or community group, whatever you call it, Christians call it kinds of thing, uh, you come to church on Sunday, whatever the case is, and you look down at what's in front of you and you're like, all right, well, I know that we need to pray. I know that we need to do this. We need to do these commitments. Then to be quite honest with you, friend, you have probably missed the mark of these commitments. You've probably just missed them because they're not checklists to become God's people. These people are already God's people. We said this in our Exodus series multiple months ago. God doesn't, doesn't give commands and then save. Saves. He saves people and then he gives commands. It's not the other way around. He's not saying, make these commitments so that you can do all the checklist stuff so that you can be my people. A bunch of random people were in a huge area and they heard a guy yell about Jesus for probably 30 minutes and 3,000 of them were like, that's the guy. That's the guy. The next question undoubtedly was, what does it mean to follow that guy? And that's where this comes in. So this isn't a checklist of things to do when we get together. It's a means of connecting with God that produces joy that we then take into our relationships with each other. It, it builds an environment, a community of love. That's what it has to do. That's the natural conclusion of these commitments, friend. If in your personal life, right, you, you are actively pursuing these things and you are coming together corporately on Sunday and, and in the context of community in the local church and you're committing to these things, I am confident you're going to encounter an environment of love. Again, if you're doing them and stewarding them in, as they should be with the idea of, hey, I want to connect with God, I want to love other people. And, and the thing really is, that doesn't mean that you, everything is fine in your life. That's not what that means. If I believe that, I'd be directly in contradiction with Jesus who was like, hey, for my people, in this life, you're going to have some troubles. But what it does mean is that in every one of those seasons where trouble is at hand, God has so graciously provided His deep love for you, an incredible place that's meant to be marked by love and care and compassion so that as every one of those difficult seasons where it feels like the lightning and the rain and the storm is at our heels, we run into the arms of God through running into the arms of his people and we find a safe place of love and compassion and care. That's what, it's, that's what it means. And that's not given by God to say, hey, 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 do the checklist. It's saying, hey, commit to these things so that you can be shaped and formed into my people. As you're shaped and formed into my people, right, that's where you'll love and bless and care for others. That's also where you're going to run to be loved and blessed and cared for when the storms of your life start to come around. That's kind of, I think, the, the early vision of what this looks like. And hear me, 
It doesn't mean that we just take that and go, okay, yeah, we're done now. No, like there's a reason we're spending the next eight weeks over this because the commitments that we're talking about and the love that comes from those commitments doesn't happen by accident. The word commit and devote here, again, it's, it's, being, it's like, like joining yourself to, like you're one with it. That's not like a simple idea. It's not like, hey, go out there and read your Bible. Or, hey, go out there and pray. Uh, hey, go out there and just hang out. There's like a meaningfulness to it that we're going to spend the next several weeks ironing out. But it's my hope, my honest to God hope, that as we go through these things, you'll see a vision of what it means to be God's people, of what it means to commit yourself uh, to his calling for his people. And through that, uh, my prayer is that the result of that is going to be that we continue and even more build an environment of love and care uh, and compassion here in our church. And so that's my hope for this. And my prayer is that you would take even this early idea of what this text is and you would start to mull it over and you'd start to shape the way you read this part of scripture, but it would start to just give you some excitement about navigating what's happening here. Because what's happening here is awesome. God's taking strangers and making them family and then making an incredible space to bring more people in. I don't know what else does that. And yet this beautiful vision takes place here and God's like, here's what we're gonna do. This is what it's gonna look like. And so with that, um, I don't have an application point for you today. I don't. I, I honestly just want you to sit with the idea that, man, what does it look like to commit to these particular ideas? And then from there, I want to invite you to deeply consider, like, how have these ideas produced the loving, joy-filled, caring, compassionate environment that, that God gives us a vision for here? And if you can look at your life and be like, hey, it doesn't, or you look at other church environments, or you look at our church environment, and you say, hey, this doesn't, then like, I want you to think about why. I want you to think about why. I don't want you to provide honest feedback about why. If it's about this church, then man, let me know. I would love, love to address those things, because the goal isn't to hide ourselves from criticism, it's to be faithful. And so if it's here, let me know. If it was at a past church environment, think about that. If it's in your own life, confront that too. Because again, the goal isn't hiding. The goal is faithfulness. And so that's what I want to invite us into as we close today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. Help us, Father, uh, to understand the beauty of what it means to commit to um, the teachings of your apostles that, that really invite us into knowing who you are. The gathering of the saints that is to come together as God's people uh, even simple things like communion and reflecting on what it means for your son Jesus to have sacrificed himself on our behalf. And prayer, what it means to intimately connect with you. Help us to consider in our own lives what that looks like and what it means. Help us to observe with, like with earnestness and with honesty, like where in our lives the fruit of love, compassion, and care is being produced. And in our lives where it's not happening, help us to ask the difficult question of why. Why isn't it happening? And then I pray that over the next several weeks, while not, I know not all questions will be answered, I pray that your spirit would work over the course of the next several weeks to give us some insight to what that may look like. And that we would see and, and really 
anticipate a weekly invitation uh, by your spirit into what it looks like uh, to follow you and to make these commitments and, and therefore to produce a beautiful vision of love and care that reflects the son, I mean the heart of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.